Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for the truth of it and the promises of it. I pray that you'd bless now this effort to preach your word, that you would use it to speak to our hearts. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, if you would, this morning to the book of James. James chapter 2 is where we're going to be for the next few moments. As you find your place there, I do want to remind us of what we talked about last week, what we gave consideration to, because it certainly ties in to this morning's message. You may remember as we began looking at chapter 2, we watched as James began addressing the subject of partiality and discrimination. He illustrated what he was talking about by talking or by mentioning uh, two different individuals who would enter into their assembly. One came in with a gold ring, goodly apparel, and uh, gay clothing. So basically a person came in with all the outward signs of wealth and affluence and maybe position. And at the same time, a second person came in. They were poor and they were in vile or dirty raiment. And he said the partiality is shown in treating the rich person better than you would the poor person. And the discrimination is shown in having the poor person sit over here or stand over here uh, where it would not be as desirable. And James explained in verse number 9 that if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convicted of the law as transgressors. And so last week I tried to show us that we still live in a culture and we still live in a society that practices partiality and practices discrimination. We have not grown out of that as a culture. And though we would like to pretend that we're not ever guilty of such a thing, when we are honest, we would have to admit that that can be a struggle for us as well that there are times in our lives where we might show partiality to some in a way that would not be right in relation to how we would treat others. Sometimes in our thoughts, we discriminate against people. We might not ever say it out loud, but we certainly have the thoughts run through our head. It, it's something that we would guard against, I think, many times in a church setting. But whenever we're not influenced by the church setting, whenever we're not influenced by the, the Christian approach we're supposed to have to our lives, uh, the sinfulness of our humanity can present itself and, and, or itself and, and we can be partial, can we not? We certainly can and we can certainly discriminate against people uh, based on so many different issues. It's not just a race issue. It can be so many different things that we discriminate against and it's just something that we've got to be mindful of and be aware of. This morning we're going to continue looking at just a couple of verses and as I said just a moment ago, it very much builds upon what was said last week. But I want to begin this morning by talking about two separate thoughts that uh, connect with each other. And I, I trust this will make sense in a couple of moments. But uh, some of you may have detected over the years that I've said about myself that growing up in school, academics was not a high priority of mine. I never had the desire or the dream to be at the top of my class. I never wanted to be the valedictorian. That was never anything I cared about. For me, I knew what my parents expected of me. I knew how little or how much I had to apply myself to meet their expectations. And if I met their expectations, that's all I cared about. At the same time, like most people, I had certain subjects that I struggled with more than I would other subjects. And so I have said this, I'm sure, at some point in the past, but anything related to science, I struggled with. It didn't connect with me, it didn't make sense to me, and because I was lazy anyways, I wasn't going to really apply myself to really try to understand it. 
So whenever I made my way to college and I was taking some courses that were going to take me to the major I had declared at that time, I found myself in a class called Anatomy and Physiology. Guess how well that clicked with me? Like not at all. I struggled with that class like crazy. I took another class called Medical Terminology and I can assure you I remember nothing from that class it was an absolute waste of my time and my parents' money. I just did not understand it whatsoever. So all that said, understanding that I struggled with everything related to science, a year and a half ago, you know this, that I took Leah and Reese on a skiing trip for Leah's birthday. Most of you know how that went. You know how that worked out. About halfway through that first day, I was on the slope and I fell and I busted up my shoulder and my collarbone and before I made my way to urgent care here's what happened they took me down to the little medic shaft uh, shack uh, whatever you would call that the little medical area that they had there on the ski slope and their medical team I don't know what kind of training they had but their medical team said to me it doesn't look broken that's what they said it, it doesn't look broken so with my understanding of all things science, and I'm guessing their vast experience in that kind of a world and, and those types of injuries, I assumed that they knew what they were talking about, that nothing was broken. They gave me some ibuprofen, sent me on my way. I made it to urgent care. Within a few minutes, I was back in a room. They were taking pictures of my shoulder. And a few minutes after that, they walk in, and you know how they show you x-rays on a screen about all I knew was this, is that was probably a picture of my shoulder. That's about what I understood. Now I'm going somewhere with this, so just hold on. As I'm sitting there looking at this picture of my shoulder, I don't know what I'm looking at. I don't know if this is good, I don't know if this is bad, I don't know what it's supposed to look like. But within a matter of just a few seconds, here's what the doctor said to me. She said it's broken in three places and it will require surgery. She then proceeded to point out to me where all it was broken and why it would require surgery. And once she pointed it all out, it made perfect sense. But until she did, I didn't see it for what it really was. So this morning, I want us to, to think about all that, and I want us to, to narrow it down to this thought and this idea, this principle, that sometimes you and I don't see things for what they really are. Maybe we don't have the eye for it. Maybe we don't have the understanding of it. Maybe we, may, maybe we struggle in a particular area, whatever it may be, and we don't always see things for what they really are. And truth be told, sometimes we have to be told this is what it is in order for us to grasp it, for us to catch it. Would you admit this to be true of you? That sometimes it has to be spelled out to us, this is not right, this is not the way it's supposed to be, because we don't see it maybe like someone else does. So as you think about that, I want us to look now in verse number 10 of James chapter 2. As we begin looking at this portion of Scripture, 
I want us to remember and I want us to be mindful of who James is and who he is writing to. He is a Jew writing to fellow Jews, correct? Who are not too far removed from the law and the system that they had grown up under and been a part of most likely. And so the terminology that James is going to use would have been something very familiar to him and very familiar to his audience who were also fellow Jews. And so in verse number 10, he said this, For whosoever shall keep the whole law. For whosoever shall keep the whole law. So what is the law a reference to? Well, that would have been God's word and God's instruction to God's people in their day, correct? That is what the law was. It was God's word given to God's people in their day. And so understanding their background and how they would have thought, how they would have approached much of their spiritual lives, probably still from from that day and that era, what he said is this, is whosoever shall keep the whole law, the entirety of it, and that word keep just means this, to observe or to practice it. All right, so James says, should someone keep or observe or practice the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is what? He is guilty of all. So James, writing to some Jews who understood something about the law, he said, should you endeavor to observe and to practice everything God's law teaches? Should you strive to to keep everything that God's word declares? And should you offend or err or miss the mark In one point, how many points? One point. He said, you are guilty of all. That seems a bit harsh, does it not? You know, there there may have been some who said something like this, James, I'm working hard at this. James, I'm, I'm taking it serious. James, I'm applying myself to be obedient to the Word of God. And you're saying to me that if I err in one area, I'm guilty of breaking all of the law? Well, well what he is showing is this, is listen, ain't nobody perfect. There's not one person who's going to get it all right. There's not one person who's going to to do it correctly every time, in every moment, in every situation. And so what he is showing them is this, is listen, if you have messed up even once, well, you're guilty essentially of having messed up in all of it. And he illustrates it in verse number 11. He says, For he that said... Do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Well, is that not what the law said? I mean, if you go back to the Old Testament, is that not what the law said? Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery. I mean, those may not be the exact words in which it was spoken, but but the scripture was clear, do not commit adultery and do not kill. And so what he says in verse number 11 is this, Now if thou commit no adultery... Yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. Think about this. How many of us are aware of the issue of adultery? Most of us are aware of the issue of adultery, right? 
Most of us have known people who have failed in that particular area of life. We have, we have known people, maybe in our family, friends, acquaintances, whatever it would be. And I, I want us to see this, that, that adultery in our minds, that is a major failure of the Word of God. Would, would we agree on that? that? That if someone is guilty of committing adultery, we would say that is a serious violation of the Word of God. Think about the subject of murder. Obviously, that is a serious violation of the law. I've known people who have committed adultery. I know people who have failed in that area. Thankfully, as of right now, I don't know anybody who has been guilty of the actual act of murder. But I do know this. That is serious, serious stuff. That is a serious transgression or a serious violation of the Word of God. Now think about how the human mind works sometimes. The human mind sometimes works in this manner. I haven't committed that sin. Come on, let's be honest. We're going to have to be honest in this message if it's going to be a help to us at all, okay? Here's what happens sometimes with the human mind. Here's what we do. We look at certain sins and we can say, at least I haven't committed that sin. So here's what an adulterer can do. An adulterer could look at a murderer and say, well, at least I've never murdered someone. And you know what James would say? Uh, but yeah... You committed adultery. So you may be able to step back and say, okay, I may have been an adulterer, but at least I'm not a murderer. Well, the murderer, as weird as this may sound, it, may, you know, it could be said that the murderer would say, hey, listen, I may have murdered someone, I may have taken their life, but it was a justifiable reason for why I did that. At least I never had an affair and committed adultery. You know what James is saying? Come on now, we're splitting hairs. You're priding yourself in that you have never had an affair, but you've killed. Well, you're priding yourself in that you have never killed, but you've had an affair. Come on, if you do one, James says, thou art become a transgressor of the law. It doesn't matter which one you've committed. You have committed a sin against God's word. So think about this, and, and, and let's just kind of go on a, a side trail for just a moment. How many of us have ever had conversations with someone, and they say something, and you ask yourself whether to, you know, in your mind or out loud because you couldn't help it, but how many of us have ever been talking to someone, they say something, and you say within yourself, where in the world did that come from? You ever ask yourself that question in the midst of a conversation? Like one minute we're talking about this, the one minute we're, we're discussing this, and then all of a sudden they threw this in. Where in the world did that come from? Now, now follow this. In all of the letter that James has written to fellow Jews up to this point, at what point in the past has he dealt with the subject of adultery? He hasn't dealt with it. At what point in the first chapter, or the first few verses of chapter 2, did he deal with the subject of killing and murder? He hasn't dealt with that at all. So let's think about this. Where in the world did verse number 11 come from? This makes no sense, does it? Because if you think about the context to this point, what has James just been addressing? 
partiality and discrimination. Partiality and discrimination, that is what James has been addressing. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect to persons. Listen, as a believer, as a Christian, do not show favoritism, do not show partiality. He said in verse number 6, if you do this, ye have despised the poor, you have insulted them, you have dishonored them, you have mistreated them. And he said in verse number 9, if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin. What is he dealing with? He is dealing with partiality and discrimination. Then he says in verse number 10, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one, he is what? He is guilty of all. Verse number 9, before he got to verse number 10, he said, If you have respect of persons, ye commit sin and are convinced or convicted of the law as a transgressor, he said, For he that doth not commit, or that he for the he that said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not kill, and he goes on with the thoughts of verse number eleven. What does all this mean? What is James trying to communicate? Okay, you've got believers wherever they might be scattered to, reading this letter that James is is writing, and, and they are practicing and trying to live out their Christian life. And what are they guilty of? Partiality and discrimination. But at least I'm not an adulterer. Come on. At least I'm not an adulterer. You might be guilty of partiality and discrimination, and they might say, but at least I'm not a murderer. Okay, so you're not a murderer. But you know what you're guilty of? Partiality and discrimination. So James, what are you trying to say? James, what are you trying to communicate? Well, I think James would say something like this. I'm trying to get you to see that as one who shows partiality and as one who shows discrimination, you are as guilty of violating the law as the adulterer or the killer, the murderer. What? You are putting my partiality and discrimination on, on a level, equal uh, uh, scope of, of activity as the adulterer and the murderer? Well, yeah. Because, see, partiality and discrimination, that's sin. Is adultery sin? Yes. Is murder sin? Yes. But here's the thing. Don't assume that your sin isn't as much of a sin just because it may not carry the same consequence or may not have the same social condemnation associated with it that other actions may have associated with it. Think about this. What the believers that James is writing to may be struggling with is seeing the sinfulness of their sin without it being pointed out to them. 
okay, maybe I'm wrong, but at least I'm not that person. Okay, okay, maybe what I'm doing isn't right, but at least it's not what that person is doing. And James says, hold on, hold on. The same one who said don't do this also said don't do that. And the one who said don't do this and don't do that is the same one who said don't show partiality and don't, don't discriminate against others. And if you violate in just one area, you know what? You are convicted of breaking all the law. You are as much a sinner as the murderer or the adulterer. James, I think, is trying to show them, hey, listen, don't overlook the sinfulness of your sin. See it for what it really is. James is trying to put that picture in front of them and point out to them, listen, this in the eyes of God is as wrong as this because sin is sin. Again, are the consequences different? Yes. But a violation of God's word is a violation of God's word. End of discussion. So this morning as we think about that, I'm just going to ask us a couple of questions. These are not trick questions. These are just things that I think would be helpful for us to consider. This morning I want to ask you as a good, God-fearing, Bible-believing individual that you are, how many of us are... How many of us are pretty good at identifying sinful activity in other people's lives? Are we pretty good at that? How many of us may say something like this? We may not have ever gone to school for it, but we're good at it. Okay, we're going to have to be honest in this. We're pretty good at spotting and identifying another person's sin, aren't we? If I just had to, to guess this morning, if we were to take the time this morning to just say, okay, here's your piece of paper and here's what we're going to do. We're going to start with family. Start listing some of the things that your family struggles with. You know what I think we could do? I think we could begin writing down pretty quick what some of the struggles are of family members. Oh, I know we could. You say, no, not my precious husband. Uh, right. Not, not my perfect wife, whatever. You and I, we could think of some things pretty quick. Couldn't we have things they struggle with? Well, y'all are scared this morning. I could certainly point out some flaws of Susie, some things that, that, that she could work on to kind of take her to that next level of Christianity and spirituality. I could do that. And you could do it as well to your spouse, and, and our kids could certainly do it to us. Dad does this, mom does this, dad ought to work on this, mom ought to work on that. And, and if we wanted to sit here and just write down some of the things that our family struggles with, we could do it. 
Some of us this morning, if, if needed, if, if, if allowed, we could write down everything that our coworkers need to work on, right? They need to work on this. They need to work on this. They need to change this. They need to change that. They need to implement this. They need to implement that. You know, I, I didn't like to think about this. I really didn't. But as I was putting the sermon together and I was putting the thoughts together, here's what I was reminded of. Probably every one of you could write down some things your pastor needs to work on. You know, Brother Kyle, he really ought to do this. Brother Kyle, he really ought to do that. Brother Kyle, he, he needs to do this and needs to do that. And, and if Brother Kyle would just do this, that would really help him in the ministry as a pastor, etc. And you're probably right. But you know why I, I assume that of you all toward me? Because I can certainly do that to you all. You know, if, if you were to give me a name of a church member, I could probably say something like this. You know, good person, good man, good woman, good young person, whatever it would be. But, you know, if they would just work on this, it would really help. You know, if they would just change this, it would really help them in their spiritual life. You know, if they would just do this. Do you understand the point that I'm trying to make? We are incredible at spotting and identifying what other people need to work on. You know where we struggle? We struggle identifying what could possibly be wrong in our lives. Because kind of like me looking at that picture of the x-ray, we sometimes struggle to see it for what it really is the sinful activity that is true of our lives. You know, if we think about it, it would look something like this. We might see where someone else has this issue, but maybe we don't see the sinfulness of our anger. You ever thought about that? Because as we compare our sin to their sin, we've already concluded that our sin isn't as bad as their sin. So we may have issues with anger, you know, but at least I'm not the adulterer. At least I'm not the murderer. Hold on. James is saying you cannot justify your sin of partiality and discrimination just because you're not this. Well, listen, the same principle applies. I can't justify anger just because it may not be what someone else is guilty of. But I have got to be able and I've got to be willing to see the sinfulness of my sin. Somebody may do this. Somebody may engage in this. Somebody may act in a way that I don't agree with. And all I'm struggling with is my pride. Right. And if I'm struggling in my pride, guess what? If I've just offended in one, I am guilty of all. I've got to see the sinfulness of my sin. Somebody may say, well, you know, I, I don't do this. I, I mean, I admit, I, I struggle with selfishness sometimes, but it's not that. No. You and I don't have the authority. We don't have the authority 
to say that my sin's not as bad as someone else's sin just because it's a different kind of sin. They do this. Okay, I, I, I'm lazy, but my laziness isn't that. Well, I may struggle with rebellion, but, but my rebellion isn't as bad as that. I'm not where I should be in my spiritual life, but at least I'm not where they're at. Does this make any sense? We can get so used to whatever it is we are doing and we can get so wrapped up in how we are living that when somebody else sins, when somebody else fails, when somebody else makes a mistake, when somebody else falls on their face, we can spot it, we can identify it, we can label it and oftentimes condemn it almost immediately. But when it comes to our sin, we're looking at it saying, what? what what's wrong? So I said that. Uh, it wasn't that bad. Uh, no, it, it was that bad. Whenever I acted that way, it wasn't that bad. No, it was that bad. It's not pride, I'm right. No, that's pride. And it's just as wrong. We, at times, need to see the sinfulness of our sin. Is it difficult? Well, of course it's difficult. So we need to have it brought to our attention sometimes. And when it's brought to our attention, we need to admit it's not right. And it does put me on level ground, so to speak, with everyone else and whatever their struggles may be. I'm really no better than anyone else because my sin is no better than anyone else's sin. Now, if you think we easily come to those conclusions, you're not being honest. It is so easy for us to say, well, at least I'm not. Okay, we, we, we need to stop focusing on what we're not guilty of, focus on what we are guilty of, and that's what needs our attention. That's what needs to be addressed, getting victory in those areas. I just I want to close with this thought this morning, and, and we'll be out of here. But I want to close with this thought. When was the last time you saw your sin for what it really was? So, well, it's been forever because it just doesn't happen. Friends, that, that, it's, it's not right. When you said what didn't need to be said, when you did what shouldn't have been done, when, when, when whatever it was, when was the last time we said, you know, that is sin, that is ugly sin, that is a, a sin that offends a holy, righteous God? When was the last time we saw the sinfulness of our sin? If we can't remember the last time that we saw it and were broken by it, 
there's something wrong with our heart because we ought to be sensitive to our sin. We ought to see our sin as much, as quickly, as easily as we see the sins of someone else. Let's all stand this morning and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, I come to you this morning. I pray that you would help us, Lord. Whoever may need this, I don't know who would need it, but Lord, if someone in here needs it today, I pray that you'd help us to be more honest about our sin before you. Lord, would you help us to see the hypocrisy of seeing everyone else's sin when we can't see our own? Lord, would you help us to see just how messed up things really are when we can rationalize our own but be so condemning of everyone else's? Lord, would you just help us to learn from this principle today that our sin is no less offensive to you than anyone else's? I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.